for this beautiful day outside. Thank you that we can trust you, that you're in control. Thank you for these young adults about to be sent out. Holy Spirit, I just ask you to be here with us. We know that you are with us if we're your followers, if we're followers of Jesus, we believe in Jesus, we know that you indwell us. Uh, but we ask you to be with us in a unique way this morning as we gather, as we look at your word. Uh, convict our hearts, encourage our hearts, teach us, lead us your direction, and I pray that you would be glorified as we look at your word together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead, if you would, please. Hey, John. John also graduated. <laughs> And we wanted to give you this. It's a Bible. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. Um, we're going to be in John 15. So grab your Bible and turn to John 15, if you would. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we want you to have a Bible. And so there's one in the seat in front of you somewhere. There's little boxes. Grab that. If you don't own one, take that with you. If you're going to use your phone, that's great. We, uh, typically teach out of the ESV, but it doesn't really matter. If the words are different, that doesn't matter. We're going to be in John 15. And I would say that this in my life has been probably the most influential passage in my entire life. Um, as I've walked with Christ, no, well, as I've been a, a believer since I was five or six and walked with them, you know, through that, um, I've had those times of ups and downs, those times of really pursuing Jesus and those times of not pursuing Jesus so much, those times of fruit coming out in my life and those times of not so much. And for me, and maybe you're like me, this passage has been the most centering because we can easily get off track in this Christian life. Now, I'm going to assume that those in here want to follow Christ and have useful lives of, of bearing fruit for him. I'm, I'm assuming that. I know that's not totally true. And if that's not you, be convinced over this next four-week series. But I'm assuming that we want to bear fruit. And in that effort, sometimes we get things out of order. Sometimes we think, okay, to bear fruit, you do these things. And so now I'm going to do these things. All of a sudden, I've lost track of why I'm even trying to live this Christian life. And we get things out of order. And that causes a lot of problems, a problem, problems in church, problems in our hearts, problems in family. And so I want to look at how we can bear fruit, how we can live this Christian life. The series we're starting is called The Fruitful Life of a Jesus Follower. We're going to spend four weeks in John 15, and I would spend eight if we could, just because it's so, so applicable. So I would encourage you, if you're not a note taker, Maybe take some notes. Grab the pen that's in the box. Open up your Bible. By the way, it's okay to write in your Bible. It's okay to circle things and underline things and point to things and star things. Uh, so if something sticks out to you, highlight it. Do something with it. So next time you're reading, you, you can look at it. You can be drawn to it. Uh, what we're going to see as we go through John 15 is a metaphor. A metaphor of a vine and branches. And this metaphor is one that we see a lot in the Old Testament. Jesus often referred to his people as a vineyard or a vine. And Jesus changes the metaphor a little bit here in John 15. But throughout the Old Testament, you see this. God refers to his people, Israel, as his vineyard, as his vines. And the point of whenever he uses this is he wants them to bear fruit. And a lot of times he uses this metaphor when they're not bearing fruit and he's chastising them saying, you're my vineyard and I'm not getting anything from you. You need to bear fruit. And we see from this metaphor, God, I think we could say is obsessed with his people bearing fruit for him. We see in uh, Isaiah 27, six, God says this in the days to come, Jacob shall take root 
Israel should, shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. God's intention. The, here, here's the person we're looking at. God's intention is for his people, individually and corporately, to be the most joyful, the most pleasant, the most unstressed, uh, the most helpful to others. That's, that's what we're looking at. That type of person that is just, maybe you can think of that person that's just a blessing to be around. When you talk to them, they're listening because they actually care about you. Um, when they're busy, they'll take a time out for you. They're just always cheerful. And that's who we're supposed to be internally, this kind of a state of being, but then also externally as we live. In Galatians 5, Galatians 5, we see some more discussion about fruit. And in there, the, the author writes that if you walk by the flesh, you'll live this way. And he lays out the deeds of the flesh, all the evil that can come out of us, even as Christians, when we walk in our own strength, in our flesh. And then he says, in Galatians 5, 16, he says, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. Last week, we looked at the Holy Spirit. And we said that the way we can live this life is by walking in the spirit, by walking completely dependent on him. And now John will say the same things as Paul talks about, but he uses the word abide. And there we see in Galatians, it gives us the, the fruits of the spirit. Maybe you've memorized that passage, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So a lot of those are internal, but then a lot of the other fruit is external. We live it out. And so our goal, here's our big goal as we look through this. How do we bear fruit? How do we bear fruit? I want to set the context real quick just by reading John 15, 8, 8. John 15, 8, and then we'll go back. But Jesus says, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The goal is fruit bearing. Just so you know, that's the whole reason we're going through this is fruit. Not so you're just a comfortable church going Christian that sits in the seat every Sunday, but know that you would actually bear fruit. That's why we're looking at this. Now, here's the context. We've been going through John. Uh, Jesus was in the upper room with his 12 disciples. If you remember this, the, the last supper, he sends Judas out. So right now, at this time, Judas is off gathering a whole group to come arrest Jesus. Uh, he's doing his business. And now it's just Jesus and the 11. And they've been in the upper room. He's been teaching them. He gave them the, the new commandment, which is love, which we said is not a new commandment. It's an old commandment, but now this new commandment is under grace. So the greatest commandment is love one another. Well, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then love one another. The only way you can do that under this new commandment is if you're walking in the spirit, if Jesus is doing that in and through you. And so we talked about the helper that he would give. The Holy Spirit would be a helper. At the end of John 14, verse 31. Is that right? No. Where are we at? Anyway, <laughs> at, at the end of 14, he says, get up, let's, let's go from here. They're, they're moving. This is verse, uh, yeah, John 14, 31. He says, rise, let us go from here. So everything after that, they're, they're in transition. They're moving. They're going from this upper room. They're going to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus would pray. Remember, he would pray. He would be so burdened that he would sweat drops of blood. His disciples were supposed to pray, but they kept falling asleep. They're now in transit. So maybe they're walking past grapevines, vineyards, and Jesus is referring to those. Some think that they actually made a stop by the temple on the way 
because during the time of the Passover, the temple was open at night. And at the temple, the gates had these ornate grapevines all around, talking about, you know, as an illustration of Israel being a grapevine. So that's kind of the scene. They're, they're moving along, and Jesus is probably pointing to something, whether it's the sculptures, whether it's an actual vineyard. He looks at that, and he, he gives us this analogy, uh, this metaphor. Look at John 15, verses 1 through 5. Jesus says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. Remember, the theme through all of this is fruit bearing. You have been saved so that you will become more like Jesus and bear fruit that glorifies God. We talk about this often. You weren't saved just to be a good person. You weren't saved just to get your fire insurance. You were saved so that you could bear fruit on earth for God because that's what glorifies him. That's what he said in, in John 15, 8, which I said, my God, my father is glorified in this that you bear much fruit. You've been saved to bear fruit. Now, I wanted to give kind of a very broad definition of fruit. What is fruit? Because a lot of times we think fruit is just people being saved, right? The, the fruit of our work, the harvest will be people placing their faith in Jesus as Lord. That is some fruit, absolutely. But fruit is this. Any thought or action done in line with the scripture, empowered by the Holy Spirit, done for the glory of God. You see that? Any thought or action, it can be internal. It can even be kind of emotions and as we see love and joy, peace. That's kind of an internal thing. But it's, it's anything done in line with the Bible, truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's the last chapter and all of this chapter of how we carry it out, uh, dependent on God and done for his glory. You know, a lot of times we do good things, don't we? Even in church, we can do good things because we want to be recognized because we want credit or whatever it is. Uh, that's, not, that's not fruit. So this is fruit. Next week, we're going to get into it a little bit more and see the details about fruit. But I'm going to start here in John 15.1. And in 15.1, you know, if you want to take notes, you can just kind of underline a couple. This is where we get the cast of this metaphor. And there's three primary characters that you'll see throughout this. There's the vine, the branches, and the vine dresser. The vine is Jesus. The vine dresser is the father. We're going to get into this. And the branches are you and I. The branches are Christians, believers. Where does the fruit actually pop out of? It pops out of the branches. But where does the energy to the branches come from? It comes from the vine. So that's the picture that we're going for. And here, that's why I, I have this tomato plant. Kind of to help us. I, I couldn't get a grapevine up here. So I got a tomato plant. And I know a little bit more about tomatoes. I've been attempting to grow them for years. But <laughs> And sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. But you get the idea here. You look at this, and right here, you have the trunk. You know, or an apple tree, you have the trunk, uh, or the, the vine. That's where the energy comes from. It goes down deep into the soil. When you water it, you fertilize it, all that energy comes up and it goes to all these branches. 
And you and I are these branches. You see these flowers here. Eventually, those are going to be fruit, you know, and you don't even have to fertilize or uh, whatever it's called where the bee goes. You don't have to do that. You just shake it with a tomato. Pollinate. Thank you. <laughs> but, but this is what we want. We want flowers and we want flowers that produce fruit. And if you know much about different kinds of plants, you don't just want a lot of fruit. Maybe you do. It depends on it. But you want good fruit. So we have our apple tree. And I learned how to, how to prune it recently. And, and you had to prune it a lot. I had somebody there that knew what they were doing. And they just kept cutting. I'm like, are you sure? Are you sure? And pretty soon it was just kind of this bare tree left. But the fruit that you get from that kind of tree, big, juicy, and, and still plenty of them, rather than the times where I didn't do that. And you get a whole bunch of like little ones. Um, but we want good fruit. That's the goal. And so we are these branches. We are these and the vine dresser is the one that, that takes care of it, that fertilizes it, that touches on it, that, that, that picks off the suckers and things like that. So if you're a visual person, look at this. This is you, hopefully. Hopefully this is not you over here. There's no, no fruit. Hopefully that's us with the flowers growing. But keep this in mind as we look through. In 15.1, he says, I am the true vine. This is the last of Jesus's I am statements. His I am statements always align with, with Jesus' name of the great I am. Uh, I'm sorry, of the Father's name of I am. His personal name. It always united Jesus with the Father in the divine sense. And here he says, I am the true vine as opposed to a false vine or another vine. I mean, branches, we people as branches can tap into a lot of things for a life source, can't we? People go to, to things to be fulfilled to be filled up, to be useful, whatever it was. It, it can be alcohol. It can be drugs. People tap into those things. Uh, it could be fame. It could be money. It could be religion. It could be church. There's, there's wrong things that we can tap into to find life. But Jesus says there's only one true vine, and that's me. That's been a theme throughout John, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Life is found in Jesus alone. And by the way, that's offensive. We're going to talk about that in four weeks. That's offensive to the world around you. If you exclusively claim Jesus is the only way, you will be in line with the Bible, in line with the one true God, and the world will hate you. We're going to get to that. That's a fun one. Don't miss that one. But the point here is as the vine is the life source to the branches, Jesus provides all we need for life. He is the vine. I want to unpack that just a little bit. Um, what other vines can we tap into? And here's what I've seen. I'm just going to kind of give you what I've seen over and over. Um, within the church, this is what I'm going to stick with. I've seen branches, Christians, tapping into other sources. How often have you heard of a church where a pastor falls into sin, whatever it is, and the church kind of falls apart, and a lot of people leave never to return? I mean, that's a horrible, horrible thing. But the problem is they were tapping into a person. They were following a person, a man. They were following somebody, and when that person fell, their faith fell apart. They weren't tapped into Jesus. They were tapped into somebody they thought was intelligent or eloquent or whatever it was, and it didn't stick. This happens in every single church. I'm, you know, it's not just a random church. It's every church is going to have this problem. Any church that has a teaching team, any church where you rotate teachers, you're going to have people you prefer. I mean, that's just, that's just life. And that's okay. You know, we prefer, maybe I learn more from this person or that person. But every church I've heard of that has that type of scenario, there are those who will walk into church and go, who's speaking today? Oh, and leave. Because they only want one person. You know, we have a good friend, PJ, down in Fresno, and they have a rotating team. 
And it's the same, it's same everywhere. They go, oh, I just want to hear this person. Rather than coming to church with, you know, Holy Spirit, what do you want to speak to me? I'm connecting to you, Jesus, and you can use whatever you want, rather than I'm going to tap into this one person. We can get stuck like this on, on books. There was a person I was discipling, and he quoted one author all the time. Great author, great Christian man. Quoted him all the time, and we met week after week, and he, he kept struggling with the same things. The same things, like when are we going to get over this, this, and this? Same things. Well, so-and-so says this about that, but, but he never actually got over it. And finally, one day, kind of frustrated, I said, how often do you spend reading the Bible compared to reading this author? You know, weigh it. He's like, not even close. Way more this author. I said, there's your problem. Stop. Don't even read him at all until you tap into Jesus. You need Jesus. Same with some others who would tap into a theology. I had another friend who just got stuck on a certain theology, very secondary biblically, but all he would do was read that theology or listen to people with that view. And the same thing with, he had other struggles in his life and, and strife with people because of this. And I said, how much time do you spend in just the Bible connecting with Jesus versus connecting with that theology? He's like, not even close. If I have time, I, I listen to that or I read that. I said, stop, same thing, stop connect with Jesus, then those things are beneficial. Those things are great. You know, a good speaker, excellent. A great author, excellent. But they're secondary to Jesus. I, I hope that makes sense. Tap into Jesus. And here's, here's where I think of all you seniors that are here. You're about to leave. You're about to go somewhere else. Guess who's not leaving you? Jesus. <laughs> He's the same now, today, and forever, everywhere. So wherever you go, connect with a church. Connect with a Bible-believing church right away. Stay close to the vine. Stay connected. I think I beat that one to death. Maybe you got my point. <laughs> so Jesus is the vine. There's the big idea. Don't try and get life from anything else. Just Jesus. The father is the vine dresser. And as such, he does two things. He cuts off fruitless branches. He prunes fruitful branches so they bear more fruit. He does two things. Now, this, this verse, uh, verse two, says every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. This verse has a lot of controversy around it. What are these verses or what are these branches that he takes away? And I want to talk about that briefly so that you understand what the scripture is teaching. One thought is that because throughout the Old Testament, Israel is the vine. And so here it says these branches are taken away. Some will say that's Israel because Jesus came and now salvation is through Jesus, not through nothing through the law. Now Israel is removed. That doesn't fit because Israel as a nation is never in Jesus. They were always kind of a separate thing. So that most do not agree with, with that. It can't be Israel. Some would say, and this is a, a popular view, that's wrong, that this is apostate Christians, that this is Christians who are attached to the vine, and as life goes on, they don't follow, they, they don't, they're not bearing fruit, and so God removes them, meaning they lose their salvation. He looks at you and says, you're not doing good enough, you're out. The problem with that is it doesn't align with John's theology, and it doesn't align with the theology of, of Scripture. Uh, John 10, 28 through 29. Let me read these, because this is just very recent before this. Here's John and he's quoting Jesus, uh, John 10, 28, 29. Jesus says, I give them eternal life 
and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. This is where they're talking about the sheep. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. What he's saying is when somebody, when God gives me a soul, a person, that's you or I, if we decide to follow Jesus, that's God giving you as a gift to Jesus. He says, none of those will be lost because God, you've done the work. You've, you've given them and you can maintain them. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says this. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The words here, sealed and guarantee, are where we get the idea that when you come to Christ, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. That seal is the stamp of a king, a stamp going, boom, this is mine, or the, you know, this belongs to me. You're sealed, which is a guarantee that you will receive glory in the end. You will have eternal life with God. It's a guarantee. Philippians, Paul says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. So these probably are not fruitless Christians. Now, here's another interpretation that might be true. <laughs> here's another one where these fruitless branches are Christians that are not bearing fruit. And instead of being cut off, they're lifted up because that word can actually be translated lift up. So that's really confusing. I don't know why they did that. It can be cut off or lifted up. And so the people that would argue for that say, you come to a vine and, and there's times where the branches are, are in the dirt and they're not bearing fruit because they can't there. They're in the shade or whatever. And so the, the vine dresser will lift them up and strap them. So now they're in the sun and they can bear fruit. Uh, the idea would be with a tomato plant, if you've ever done this and not had one of these on, I've done that. And these branches will come out and they'll start to bear fruit and that, then it gets down in the dirt and then the bugs eat it and the slugs eat it, and, you know, or they just rot. And the idea would be that there's not good fruit coming from that branch, but it's still connected to the vine. And so we need to lift it up, take off some of the bad fruit and make it so it will bear fruit. That is okay. And the reason they would say that is it says any branch in me that does not bear fruit. Everywhere else where it says in me is typically talking about a true believer. So that may be true. And if, that's, if you would fall into that, that's great. I, I have no problem with that. I would lean toward, and, and most commentators would lean toward, the in me in this instance is referring to somebody that is close to Jesus in proximity. Somebody who attends church. Somebody that, it would be somebody in here right now who says the right things, does the right things, but they're not actually saved. And we know that's true. That's throughout the New Testament. Jesus said at one point, there will be many who come to heaven or, or they'll walk before God and, and Jesus will say, but, you know, apart from me, depart. I never knew you. And they say, well, didn't we do this in your name and that in your name? He said, I never knew you. They were doing all these things for the wrong reasons, for religious reasons, whatever. They didn't actually know Jesus. So most would agree that this is probably people who are close and, and they always point to Judas. Judas looked just like the rest of the disciples until the end. He looked like the rest until he betrayed Jesus. Judas is probably the best example of this. The reason why is because in verse six, which we're not looking at today except for right now, says, if anyone does not abide in me, 
He is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. That is clearly a reference to judgment, and Christians are not judged. We are judged for rewards, but we are not condemned for sin. So, the idea that he, he cuts off is probably those who are part of the church or around but don't really know Christ. But here's what I want to focus on. The next one, he prunes fruitful branches. So if you look at this, my mother-in-law is here and she'll probably correct me. But, but you want this to bear a lot of fruit. And so you come through and right here at like the armpit, I think you'd, you get these little ones that grow and you got you to gotta pick these off. Because if you, if you don't, then it'll, they'll all go crazy and you'll have this, this bush going crazy, but you're not getting any fruit. Here's another one down there. And you pick that off, you know, and you get, get rid of those. Or down below, sometimes they'll be getting in the dirt and you just, you know, you, you pinch them and you take these off. And to get the most fruit out of a plant, it takes some effort. It takes some work. With an apple tree, you go through and you look, okay, which way are the branches going? And you, you snip this one and you snip that one. And then you have to take this stuff and you goober up where you cut it off so it doesn't get diseased. Um, and now I've got an aphid problem. So, you know, I do that and then I cut the aphids and then I, it's a lot of work. But why? Because I, with my apple tree, with my tomato plants, I want fruit. I mean, there's nothing better than bruschetta with homegrown tomatoes. So we want the fruit. Here's the picture. The father is the vine dresser. He is intimately involved in your fruit bearing. This should be comforting. He is intimately involved. He is passionate about your fruit bearing. He is not a God who says, you know, I've created you, now go do your best. He's not a God who created you and then even saved you and said, now go try harder. He's a God who created you, saved you, chose you, loves you, and then goes, now I'm gonna help you. And we're going to do this together. That's why the helper in, verse, in chapter 14, intimately involved. The father looks at you and he knows every piece of you. He knows this part over here that's not bearing fruit, but if he just does this and helps, it will bear fruit. That's the father. And that's what I want you to get. He is intimately, intimately involved with your fruit bearing. It's a beautiful thing. It's humbling, but it's also kind of uplifting, isn't it? To think God cares that much about you. You're not, he's not blind to you. I know sometimes we go through that. We think he doesn't see me. He doesn't see what's going on in my life, but he does. And he's intimately involved. So there's the father. He prunes fruitful branches. By the way, sometimes pruning hurts. Sometimes pruning hurts. Pruning means he, he finds the sin in your life that's preventing you from bearing fruit and he'll try and remove it. He may, remo he may remove it by exposing it. He may remove your sin by exposing it, which hurts, and it hurts others sometimes. But it's a good thing if he will draw your sin out so he can get rid of it. Or maybe it's just bad habits. Or maybe it's not even bad habits, they're just time-wasting habits. He will prune you and do what's needed so that you will bear more fruit. The Father is intimately involved and passionate about your fruit bearing. Now look at verse three. I love this verse. It says, already you are clean, because of the word that I have spoken to you. And then he goes on in verse four and five to talk about abiding. We'll get to that. But before he gets into fruit bearing, what you do to bear fruit, because we do have a responsibility, he says, you're already clean. He says, the father cleans, but he says, but, but although that's true, you're already clean because of the word. His point is this, you're saved, you're accepted, you're a son or daughter of the king, that can't change. Done deal. Here's the two theological terms. If you're a brainiac and you like theology, justification 
and sanctification. That's exactly what he's talking about right here. Justification is the idea that when you, by faith, accept Jesus as Lord, you are accepted by the Father. That he looks at you and he no longer sees your sin. He sees Jesus' righteousness. And you're right. That's what justified means. You are right with God. Justified, done, positional, adopted. There's another way it's said. You're adopted. You're brought into the family. You're not going to get kicked out of the family. You're clean. Meaning your eternity is secure. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Awesome. Here's the point. Fruit bearing is not salvific. You're not saved by the amount of fruit that you bear. You don't look in the mirror and go, how's my fruit doing? Good, I must be saved. Or I'm not sure if I'm saved, I need to work harder. And and every other theology, every other religion will teach you, do, 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 do. And you have to do all these things to be saved. Jesus says, no, you're already clean because of me. Because of what I've done for you, you're clean, done. And then we can move to sanctification. Sanctification is the process. It can be called progressive sanctification. It's the process by which you are pruned and you become more and more like Jesus and you bear more and better fruit. And it's a process. It starts at the moment you're saved and it will go until the day you die. You will not be perfect until the day you die and you go to be with the Lord. It's a process. And there's times where we can submit to that pruning and our sanctification goes maybe quicker. There's times where we wander. We're like a branch that just falls into the dirt. We're still a branch, but we're there. And we're not being sanctified as much. And that's not God's fault, but that's our fault. And we're going to see that. But you're already clean. Justification, a permanent position in which a person is accepted by God and adopted into his family. Sanctification, the process by which a justified person becomes more and more like Jesus and therefore more and more fruitful, which is what we want. We want to bear fruit. So we want to become more and more like Jesus. Now you're going to ask, what do I do? What do I do? Last week we talked about walking in the spirit. And here is one of the the most difficult things to do when you're talking about walking in the spirit or abiding. Okay, to bear fruit, you do nothing. But you have to be intentional. I thought Paul said it well earlier. He said, you know, it's God that does the work, but we have to be intentional about it. What does that look like? Look at verses four and five. Abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, look at this tomato plant. Will this branch here produce fruit? on its own effort, will it just like sit there and go, tomatoes, and push it out? (laughs) That was a little bad. Um, No, what, what does this branch do to bear the fruit? It abides in the vine. It does this. That's what it does. It just holds on tight. You know, I was going to try and make a video maybe yesterday to, to point to what we were doing and just like grab a tree and just hold on like this. <laughs> and, and, but, you know, like that's what we do as Christians. What do you do? You do this with Jesus, you know, and you just claim, and you picture Jesus walking around and you're like the kid on the leg and you're just like this. Where are we going? We're going, uh. <laughs> and hopefully you're not too heavy and too much of a drag, but, that, but that's what we do. <laughs> we hold on to Jesus. We abide in the vine. Abide, it means to remain in? Do you prune yourself? No. Our one responsibility is to 
abide. The word abide means to live, to remain in. Uh, in context at this time, to abide with Jesus would be, they spent the night in the same building. They, they were close to him. And so he's using that word, abide. We are the branches. Our purpose is to bear fruit. Our responsibility is simply to abide in Jesus. It's a closeness. Have you ever cut off a branch on a tree and what's left on the trunk? There's a knot. And the, the knot is there because the branch runs deep into the vine or, or the, into the trunk. It's not just kind of a superficial stuck on the outside. It goes in. If you ever graft things together, I never have, but, but you, you know, you cut off a branch and you put it in a different branch. We have a pear tree that has like four different kinds of pears and someday I hope it produces. But they did something to graft that in and to, to stay is that branch had to go deep into the trunk. That connection, it's hard to sever. And when you sever it, there's something left there because you, you can't really tell where one stops and the next begins. Because if you cut it, you see that the branch actually runs deep in. That's our connection with Jesus. We run deep. That's why I like the idea of abiding is sinking deeply in Jesus. Abiding is sinking deeply in Jesus. Picture getting on a, a bed with a pillow, you know, a pillow top and you just let and just you sink it, just wraps around you. That's what we do. We sink deeply in Jesus as branches. And it's that union, listen, that produces the fruit. It's that connection that produces the fruit. This is frustrating because we like things measurable, don't we? We want to know what to do. Okay, so to make this bear fruit, I put the right fertilizer in. I water it once a day. I, you know, I do these things and this is what happens. Then we go to our own life. Okay, if I do this, 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 and this, poof, good fruit. We want it measurable. We want the, you know, the, the five habits of highly effective people. What are those? I'll do those and I'll be highly effective. The problem is abiding really isn't measurable. And you can't look at somebody else and go, you don't abide as good as me. I, you know, or, or even the other way around, man, look at all the fruit in their life. They must abide really well. I'm not, it's, it's hard. It's hard to measure. Just like walking in the spirit, by the way, they mean the exact same thing. How do you measure walking in the spirit? That's one of the, th you can't, by the way, you can't measure it. But my goal in this series is that you will understand a little better at the end how to abide. Because one of the worst things we can do is we say, let go and let God. You do nothing. And then we end up not bearing fruit because we're not putting any effort in. We're just being. But there is something we can do. There are many things we can do to remain abiding, remain close to. But it's not law. It's not religion. It's staying close. Abiding, walking in the spirit. What, what's your effort? You know, um, I had a period in my life years ago where I was working hard. You know what I mean? I, I had ambitions, I had dreams, I had ideas for what God could do. Um, and it was stuff I thought God wanted to do in and through me. And so I worked really hard. I studied hard, I wrote hard, I, I spent time, you know, I did a lot. But yet I was frustrated. I was not at peace internally. And by the way, this happened many times in my life, <laughs> you know, where, where uh, I'm doing God's work, but then, you know, I'm doing this for Roger, but it's like, I don't even like Roger. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm doing all these things I'm supposed to do. And it's like, I'm sure not loving Roger, you, you know? And, and those times I realize, I look, I'm like, I don't have joy. I don't have peace. I'm not loving this other person. 
but I'm doing all the right things. From the outside, you'd be like, man, Derek is rocking. Look how good he's doing. But I wasn't. I was studying, studying hard, and I was learning a lot about Jesus, but I wasn't seeking deeply into Jesus. Does that make sense? You can study the Bible and learn a lot about him and never connect with him. This is one of the the downfalls of, of a Christian school, Brendan. This is one of the downfalls of, of learning theology, especially, you know, young people going to college. They go and they learn all this stuff about God and about the Bible. Whoa! But yet they don't seek deeply into Jesus in that time. And they come out with a lot of knowledge, but you don't want to be around them because they're arrogant and they're condescending. And on the other side, you can study all that while sinking deeply into Jesus. And not only do you grow intellectually, but you, your heart grows. That's, that's the point. And so we can't even just say, read the Bible every day and you'll abide. There, there's a submission to it. There's a dependence on God that we need. That's why it's not real measurable. So for me, when I've had those periods, and like I said, I've had them over and over. I'd like to say it's happened once in my life, but it's monthly, where, where I, I feel whether it's stressed, lack of joy, anxiousness, and my tendency now, you're probably not as bad as me. My tendency is to do better. My tendency is to work harder. My tendency is to, whatever it is, put more effort into it. And God frequently slaps me in the head and says, no, here's what I want you to do. Stop. Stop. Be still and know that I am God. I think that's in the Bible somewhere. <laughs> Be still and know that I am God. What did Jesus say? We're going to see this in a couple weeks. Eternal life is that you know the Father and Jesus Christ whom you sent. Eternal life is not that you go do all this stuff. It's that you know God. The greatest commandment is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. None of those things are you doing. None of those things are my to-do list. It's me stopping. And man, I just can't tell you how, how forgetful I am, but how much this works for me when I see this happening in my life and I stop, and I sit down, or I go to a quiet place, and I pray. And often I begin with the Lord's Prayer, because in those times, I'm not sure exactly what to say. I'll start with the Lord's Prayer. I'll ask the Holy Spirit just to comfort me, just to speak to me. I just want to enjoy you, Jesus. And then I'll, I'll open to whether it's my reading or, or a new reading for the day, and I'll just sing, and no agenda, because often we can study as an agenda, because you have to do it every day, or whatever it is. No agenda. I just sink deeply into him and everything changes. Everything changes. And it's, it's not even what I do. It's a state of mind where I submit to him. Where I go, it's not about me. It's not about what I accomplish. It's about connecting with you. I want to enjoy you, Jesus. So for some of us, that may be music. It may be putting on a worship song and just sitting there. And you know what? That's the hardest thing in the world. Because you're not accomplishing anything when you're just sitting there. You know, for me, that's one of the things I like to listen to stuff while I work. And so I can do my Jesus time while I clean the lawn. You know, while I mow, I'm listening to the Bible, and, you know. And that, there's nothing wrong with that. That's great. But I, per, I need times of just stopping, sitting, and just enjoying Jesus. And part of that time is being thankful thankful that I don't have to go do for him. <laughs> thankful that he's not measuring me based on my fruit. Thankful that I'm adopted as his son just because of Jesus. And I sink deeply into him. That's abiding. Here's abiding. A continual lifestyle of maintaining union and communion with Jesus. I'm sorry, it's not more measurable. 
It is a continual lifestyle of maintaining union and communion with Jesus. We remain dependent. That's the point. This branch remains dependent. If every one of these branches is like, oh, I can do it on my own, you know, it's dead. It goes over here and, hey, look at my fruit, you know, and it's just falling apart. That, I mean, that's, that's what happens when we try and do it on our own. I heard a great analogy of a, a guy trying to play the piano. Somebody like me, you know, I know chopsticks and a couple little things. And then a, a concert pianist sits down and just goes like this, you know, and if you ever heard somebody that can really play, it's amazing. And you're watching, and that's like God living your life for you, in and through you. You abide, and he just plays this symphony, or whatever it would be. He plays something really good. But you're watching, you're like, I can do that. And so you, you sit down, and you kind of start scooting it over until Jesus is like, I'm one cheek in it here. And you start taking over, and it's like, dunk, 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 dunk. And Jesus is like, okay, I'll stop. But when you want me to take over, you just let me, and you realize, I'm not very good at this. Jesus, you, you take over and he'll slide right back in and your life will be this orchestra bearing fruit for him. But it's him doing it. Do you realize that when the fruit is born in your life, who gets the credit? Jesus does. So is there ever room for boasting or arrogance? Never. An arrogant Christian is an oxymoron or just a moron. <laughs> but, but it doesn't make sense because the life really lived is one of dependence on Jesus and him living in and through. One of the things that I, I've wanted to do is to give an action step. And here's where it's really hard because we're saying abiding is clinging tightly to, but that doesn't mean we do nothing. And so here's the action step for this week. I'm gonna ask you this week in your pursuit of abiding, spend some time consistently in the word. Spend some time consistently in the word. It may be five minutes. Before you go to the word, Pray. So you're not, it's not legalism. It's not duty. It's you, you sit down and you say, God, I'm going to spend five minutes, ten, whatever it is. You know, if you have kids, do it before they get up or after they go to school. Oh, summer, it's going to be hard. <laughs> you're going to have to get up earlier. <laughs> but pray, Jesus, I want to connect with you. Holy Spirit, I want to connect with you. Teach me what I need to see, whatever it is, but I want to enjoy you right now. Just put it in his court Put it in his court and then go to what your daily reading. If you do that, if you have a devotional, keep doing that. Great. But go into it with a heart of show me what you want to show me. We talked about sanctification and justification. Here's two words. Jesus says in these verses, he says, you're already clean. Why? Because of the word I've spoken to you. Later, which I'm not going to steal the thunder from next week, but later he says, you are cleaned by the works, or he says, abide by my words, which abide in you. They're two different words. One is logos. The other is rhema. Logos is the idea. And he says, you're already clean because of the logos, which is the whole embodiment of the truth, the whole embodiment of Jesus, the whole gospel and who Jesus is as a person. Remember John 1, 1? In the beginning was the word, logos, and the word was with God and the word was God. You're saved by Jesus, justified by Jesus, right in God's sight by Jesus. Now, how do you abide? How do you grow? Rhema. That word means the specific sayings of Jesus. Rhema, the specific words of Jesus, like abide in me. So how do we grow? How do we are sanctified? We have to know the specific words that's what he uses to prune that and some other things. But that's why this week, one action step, that's it. 
spend some time in the word, not as a duty, but just to connect with Jesus. Let me pray and we'll close in song. Or no, we won't. We're gonna do the Lord's Supper. Let me pray anyway. <laughs> Father, Father, we love you. Jesus, thank you that you died on the cross for us. Thank you that our job is simply to abide in you, to connect with you. And this week, I would pray, Holy Spirit, convict us um, in a good way to connect with you. Give us time or help us to be intentional to make time to go to your word and just sink deeply in. Not religion, not duty. We can't bear any good fruit on our own. That's what you, Jesus, you said in these verses. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Not apart from me, you can do a little. Not apart from me, you can bear some fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so God, we don't want to do anything apart from you. We want to sink deeply in you. We want to connect with you, abide in you, because we love you dearly. And our love is simply a response to your love. You loved us first. While we were still sinners, you died for us. Amen.